How many of you grew up in a Southern Baptist tradition? All right. How many of you grew up in a Presbyterian or Lutheran tradition? Okay. Then for you, you have heard and probably understand to some extent the phrase once saved, always saved. Basically, what that means is, is, a, is kind of a catchy way of saying that a Christian, someone who's saved, cannot lose that salvation. There are other terms that are used, for instance, the perseverance of the saints or eternal security. Now, this is a biblical doctrine, and this doctrine can give those of us who have been saved, it can give us a lot of comfort, a lot of assurance, a lot of peace, that we don't have to hold on to that salvation ourselves, that we can entrust that to God and he will keep it for us. In other words, our salvation is not hanging by a thread so that any sin in our lives might cut that thread and send us crashing down into lostness again. Now, having said that, and many of you who've embraced that have a great sense of security, a great sense of of peace about that, but I will be honest with you and say that this, this, this doctrine, this truth, can be most, both misunderstood and misapplied. And that's what we want to try to avoid this morning as we consider what it means to be eternally saved. Because what we don't want to do, in the midst of giving you who are believers a sense of security, what we don't want to do is to give any any of you who may not be believers a false sense of security. When we go, uh, and I haven't been in a long time, I actually enjoy riding roller coasters, but I think the last time I went to Six Flags, I stood in line pretty much all day to ride six times. And standing in line in Six Flags in July or August, between, you know, standing behind uh, uh, two 14-year-olds who are acting more like a married couple than 14-year-olds is not really the way I want to spend my time, but I enjoy roller coasters. I enjoy, now, when you get in a roller coaster, they, you get in there and they kind of buckle you in uncomfortably tight. And you really don't appreciate that. You'd like to have a little bit of wiggle room until... You start going through the loop-de-loops and upside down and sideways and going 3,000 miles an hour and the G-force greater than a fighter pilot. And then, man, then you're glad I am buckled in tight. I'm glad that guy who put me in buckled me in this tight so that I don't fall out. That's really what we're talking about when we're talking about eternal security. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, life can be worse than a roller coaster ride. It can take you through some places you never thought you would go. It can, it can take you through some temptations you never thought you'd face. You can encounter difficulties you never thought you'd encounter. And you want to be buckled in tight. But you don't want someone telling you that you've been locked down tight if you're not. So where do we go with this? We all know people who... Um, have had an experience. Perhaps they have come before, you know, walked down a church aisle somewhere, 
come down and, and tears streaming from their face. They're visibly shaken. They appear to be spiritually broken and in deep, deep conviction. And they come down and they talk to the pastor or some other leader in the church. And that person comes alongside them and, and prays with them. And they receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. They pray the prayer. And then they kind of get baptized and, and go through the, the routine. They're plugged into a church for a while. But, but then after, after a few months, maybe even a few weeks, that spiritual passion, that energy starts to ebb a little bit and, and life starts to creep in on them and, and they become less frequent in their attendance. They drop out of Bible study. They stop answering your text messages and phone calls. And, and, and then before too long, their life really doesn't look very much different post that experience than it did pre that experience. There's just not a lot of change. And this becomes a real challenge for us when we consider this doctrine of eternal security. What do we do with that? In this kind of scenario, was the person genuinely saved? Was it a genuine experience and and they're just kind of living outside the will of God and and they're still saved except they're they're, they're kind of out on the fringes. They're the old term, they're backsliding. They're, they're, They're living as if they weren't a Christian even though they really are a Christian. Was this just an emotional response? Did the person come down and they have this, this, this sense of, of guilt, this sense of brokenness, and, and they knew they needed something, and so they grasped onto this, but it was not really a real profession of faith in Jesus? Did this person lose what they had? Were they a real Christian except something in their life went haywire and they turned their backs on Jesus and just walked away? Here's the issue. And, and, and this, it doesn't matter whether it's, whether it's me or you. I cannot look into someone else's heart. I don't have access to that. I can see their behavior, I can, I can see their actions, I can hear the way they talk, I can, I can see all these things on the outside, but I really don't know what's going on right here, right in the heart. And I don't have access to the Lamb's book of life. I can't go check and say, well, let me just, let me just be sure the name is there. Oh, I can look on the church roll, I can see if they've been baptized, I can see if they were registered in Bible study or grace group. But I can't really check the Lamb's book of life. So what do do I do in a situation like this? Obviously, I I attempt to contact them, encourage them, and pray for them. But but I I can't dig beneath the surface. I can't see the heart. Since our human wisdom is kind of faulty in this area, and we have a hard time distinguishing between the wheat and the weeds... Jesus tells a story about that as well. Then what we need is not to depend upon our own wisdom, but instead we need to go to God's word and we need to see what God's word says about this. And then we need to adjust our thinking, our attitudes, our belief to what God is revealing to us. Because here it is. If you can be saved and secure, you want to know that. 
If you can be saved and lose your salvation, you need to know that. And if you can think you're saved and not truly be saved, then you need to be desperate to know that. And so today begins a journey that's going to take us over two weeks. And so I'm going to ask you to hang with me. This is part one, okay? Next week we'll pick back up with where we left off. And so if you, this, in my opinion, one of the reasons that I'm in preaching this message is because it became apparent to me last year that one of the things that, that we have an issue with as believers is we get to this point where we know enough. We've, we've, got, we've got a good working knowledge of things, but we don't plunge the depths of things. And what I've discovered from the trees that fall over behind my house is the trees that fall are the ones with shallow roots. And when I look at the people, quite honestly, as we, we're 10 years old, there are people, you were here at the very start, there are people you've joined since then, uh, there are other people who've gone on to become a part of other fellowships, other churches, that's fine, but there are a lot of folks who are just gone. Why? And so I came to understand last year that I needed to devote this year to dealing with with the deep issues and invite you to engage in those. And so this is one of those deep issues. So put on your little swimmy arm things and your flippers because we want to get into some deep water over the next two weeks and I want to invite you to hang with me because I think it will be worthwhile in your spiritual growth, your spiritual development, but it will also help you to answer the serious, serious questions. Am I saved? Am I sure? Am I saved? Am I sure? Okay, so let's begin. I want to give you some, some basic biblical truths. I'm going to spend a ton of time on these. The first truth is this. You can know that you're saved. You can know it. Now, how do I know that? Is that sometimes just telling you I'm just making up on the spot to make you feel better? No. I know it because God's word reveals it. In 1 John chapter 5, we read this, these words. These things I have written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may, be, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Now, knowing here, this word knowing is not just a, uh, you know, just thinking it. This word knowing has a depth to it all its own. This, this is a personal, relational knowledge that you may know it. Now, there's some things that you know. I, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship and you wondered, does that person really love me? Well, you want to know, don't you? You don't have to guess at it. You want to know. Well, what we're reading here is that you can know that you're saved. You can know it. This doesn't have to be a guessing game. This doesn't have to be multiple choice. This doesn't have to be the flip of a coin. This is something I can know. Our confidence in our salvation is not based on the good works or the religious acts that we do. It is based on the faithfulness of God and his promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This is why we can know it. Because our 
knowing it is not based on our performance. It's based on the faithfulness of God. The one who promises it. God is faithful. The word says even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He is who he is and he is faithful. There's some people you can trust their promises and some people you can't trust their promises. Here's what I want you to know. You can trust God's promises. You can trust him. And so the first truth is you can know that you're saved. The second truth is this. Your salvation is not earned but received. You do not earn it. You do not work for it. You do not labor away at it in order to receive it. It is God's gift. In, in, in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Get this. We talked about grace. We talked about mercy. We talked about peace last week. We talked about these things, and we said last week that grace is God's undeserved, unearned favor toward us. It is by grace. It is by God's gift that you are saved. It's not something you work for. Not, not anything. I cannot, I cannot go to Carol over here and say, Carol, I am so good. I've got this thing together. I want you to know I have saved myself. What kind of arrogant person would I be to say that? I, I mean, I can't go to, do you think I'm actually going to go up and impress God? God, I preached this sermon and 500 people came down and received you. God, aren't you impressed? Well, no. I actually made them all. I mean, this is kind of, this is an issue we face. We feel like somehow I can do this. I can be good enough, I can be right enough, I can be religious enough that God's going to accept me. That's, that's completely false. It is by grace, grace, God's favor, God's mercy that you're saved through faith, through believing. It's not of yourselves. It's God's gift. And so it, 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 is, it is received through believing You receive your salvation, the third truth, by God's grace through believing. Now, is that just believing anything? No. Romans chapter 10 tells us if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The one who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness and the one confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now, this is, this is key. Look at this. Okay. We confess with our mouth, hang on, let's go by it. We confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts, what? That God has raised him from the dead. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose the parts of Jesus we want to believe in. There's some folks who just like the teacher Jesus. There's some people who just like the, 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 the miracle worker Jesus. Well, listen, we need all of Jesus. We need the resurrected Jesus. 
We've got to embrace who Jesus is, not who we want him to be. And so when we say that you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God, God is raised him from the dead, what we're saying is he is a Savior and he is Lord, the King of life. And we embrace all of that when we accept Jesus as best we can understand it, knowing that at different areas of life, we can only understand things. You know, a child is not going to understand on the same level that an adult is going to understand on. And God, God's salvation is not based on whether we pass that test, whether we have that knowledge, but based on what we know of Jesus, what we've been taught of Jesus, do we receive him for who he is or do we receive him for who we want, we want him to be? And it goes on. Now, the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, again, by calling on the name of the Lord, let's reverse it. Let's go back up. When we're calling on the name of the Lord, it's not just coming up. Okay, God, forgive me. No, it is based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's not something we make up. We don't set the rules. We don't set the parameters here. We're told that it is through faith in Jesus Christ and him alone that we're saved. And so just coming around and saying, okay, I know I've done bad things. I want to be a better person. That doesn't do it. That doesn't save us. We need Jesus. And and did you notice last week we talked about God was rich in mercy and God was rich in grace. Look here, that word appears again. The same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. So how much salvation does he want to pour on you? All of it. He's not stingy. He's not holding back. He's not saying, listen, let me just give you a little bit of salvation and see how you do with it. And then if you do okay, I'll give you a little more. And so day by day, you're walking in fear that somehow today I won't perform enough and all of a sudden it's going to be gone. No, he's rich. He is rich. He is lavishly pouring it out on us. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read that a little while ago. It is by grace that you're, uh, it is by, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves, the gift of God, not a work so that no one can boast. And then in Mark 1.15, we read, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Here's, here's what happens. We turn from our sin and ourself and trying to do it ourselves. And we turn to God. We confess our sins. We confess that we're sinners. We need a Savior. And that Jesus is our only hope. We receive him as our savior. One who died on the cross and rose again as our Lord. The king of our lives. And we receive what was promised. Salvation. Abundant life. Eternal life. And God to come and indwell us in his spirit. Come in to indwell us. And to fill us. Now. We need to put a pause here because I need, I need to ask you some serious questions that I want you to consider. The first question is, where are you? Spiritually, where are you? Are you saved and secure in that? Or 
do you just not know? Are you kind of wishing in the hope sense, you know, hoping, wishing? Do you think maybe I'm in, maybe I'm not? Would you be honest with yourself and say, you know what, if I ask that question where I am spiritually, I would have to say I'm lost. I really am. I've, I've never received Jesus as Savior and Lord. Oh, yes, I've gone to God and prayed some time, and, and, I, and, and I've, I've asked God to forgive me when I felt really guilty and got caught, but, but I can't really say that I'm in, kind of on the fence. That's a dangerous place to be. And, and we talked about the peace that we can have in Jesus Christ, that you can put your head on the pillow at night and go, you know what, if I die tonight, then I get, I get to go to heaven. Even if I lose, I win. If you don't have that peace, what we've read already this morning helps us understand we can have that peace. We can know that peace. Something happened uh, on Friday that reminded me of uh, my first pastorate. Um, we had a family, the Beverly family, who lived just outside of town. He had worked hard all his life, and he had, he had retired. He and his wife had a nice farm, and, and they were kind of now just leasing the land. And they were planning on just enjoying the rest of life. Um, had a son that lived out in California and wanted to go see their son and, and see their grandchildren out there. And, and they had these plans. She sent him to the store to get bread, milk, something. I'm, not that they were expecting a snowstorm, but people do that other than when it snows. She did, and again, just a routine errand, sent him to the store. This is right after the law had passed that you could turn right on red. And so he pulled up to the intersection, his car in front of him, turned right on red, and went on. He went through the light. And had an encounter with an 18-wheeler. Just this past Friday, one of my neighbors from down the street, one of the nicest guys you'd want to meet, member over at Wesley Chapel. He and his wife lived there. Now, he put everybody else on the block to shame because this guy was meticulous about his yard work. He even has a vacant lot next to him, and he's going, he picks up all the sticks, all the limbs, rakes it out, no pine cones. I mean, it is, it's just, it's as nice as going out to any of our parks out here. I mean, it's, it's just that nice. I don't know all the details, but I do know that on Friday, right here on Highway 15, between Greensboro and Siloam, head on collision. This is not, I, you, you know me, I, I've been around here long enough to know, you know I never try to manipulate any decision that people make. That's just not who I am. I just want you to understand that unexpected things do happen. Life takes some strange turns. And if you're thinking, you know what, let me just live like I want to live until I get to be old and then, and and. 
you depend on what age you are, you're thinking old is maybe 45, but let me just live like I want to live and do what I want to do until, you know, I get old and then, then I'll get right with Jesus and, and everything will be good. That way I've had my cake and I get to eat it too. We're reminded in scripture and every time I preach a funeral, I remind people of this as well. Life is a vapor. It's here and then it's gone. It's absolutely unpredictable. And all I'm saying is, if you needed a reason to ask yourself the serious questions about salvation and security, open up the obituary column every week and you'll find reason after reason after reason. These are serious things. These are deep things, but they are also eternal things. They matter not just in this life, not just for your morality day in and day out. They matter forever. So as I let me wrap this thing up as quickly as I can. There are some approaches about whether we can be saved and sure and how we can know. And I want to give you those three approaches right now. The first approach is the logical approach. The logical approach, which says this. Since we cannot earn our salvation by good works, we cannot lose our salvation by bad works. That, that's the logical. I mean, that's just, that's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. If I didn't do anything to earn it, how can I do anything to lose it? So we're not going to spend a lot of time on that. As you can see, you know, it's a simple equation. The second method is the internal approach. What is that? That is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, confirms to us internally that we're saved. In other words, we've got an indicator that the Holy Spirit lives in us who confirms that. In Romans chapter 8, we read, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with, together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are his children. There's an internal confidence, an internal confirmation that we get from the Holy Spirit. This is that peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Those of you who've got it know exactly what I'm talking about. Those of you who don't have it are kind of wondering, do I have it or not? Now, this logical approach makes sense. This internal approach makes sense. But God didn't say, okay, that's all you get. God decided he would add to that his word, his truth. And he would pile it one on top of the other to help us to understand. And so there's also a biblical approach. And that is that God speak to us through his word to give believers assurance of their salvation. So let me share with you some of those verses as we wrap up. In the midst of a challenge to live a godly life and to do good works, this is what Paul says in Titus 3. 
But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his, this Spirit on us abundantly. Look at this. God just keeps reminding us how lavish, how gracious, how rich he is that he would pour this out on us. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Hope is not wishing. Hope is a confident assurance that what is promised will come to pass. The good works that we're called to do are not done to gain salvation nor to keep salvation. Rather, they are the natural outgrowth of our salvation. It comes from here. In Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Here is a bold doxology about God's ability to keep us from stumbling and to make us. Notice, we don't make ourselves to make us stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with joy. That's pretty awesome. In Ephesians chapter 1 and 4, when you've heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, You were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. And then in in 430, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. This concept of being sealed comes into play. What does that mean? It is not when you lick an envelope kind of sealed. That kind, you can rip into that. That's not that big of a deal to seal an envelope. So what does the word sealed mean? The word sealed means to, to prove the authority uh, and, of, of something and to safeguard that thing. Give you an example. A, a scroll in that time, a scroll would be wound up and then they would seal it with wax and the king or the person in authority would take a signet ring and they would press it down into that wax and it would do two things. Number one, the wax would seal it so that you'd know this was protected. This is not to be opened except by the recipient. This is sealed. It was also sealed in the sense that it had the authority of the person who wore the ring behind it. Now, we see this also in the burial of Jesus. His tomb was not only closed, but it was sealed. Very likely it was sealed with some kind of wax and with a larger image of the Roman government stamped into it, of the Caesar stamped into it, so that if that seal were broken, you would know it. And it gave the authority to say, stay out on the authority of Rome. Now, it is that kind of sealing that we're talking about that the Holy Spirit does. He seals us. I got to tell you, that is better than any Tupperware or Ziploc that you can get anywhere. If you want someone who can seal something and leave it sealed, it's God. And even more than that, did you notice? He said that the Holy Spirit is the deposit guaranteeing 
what is to come. And if God puts a deposit on something, unlike maybe some of us, when God puts down a deposit, you can guarantee he will come through with the completion of that which the deposit was about. So being sealed with the Holy Spirit means that God is authenticating our salvation and securing it forever. A couple more verses and then we're going to wrap it up. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us. He's also sealed us and given us the Spirit as a down payment on our hearts. Jesus said in John 10, 27 and 29, My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish ever. That's the emphasis. They will never perish ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Now here's pretty much what it boils down to. If Jesus and the Father are holding you in their hands, you're pretty secure. This is what he's saying, that Jesus and the Father are holding you in their hands. John chapter 5, verse 24, I assure you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus is unequivocal here. This is what he says. If a person hears and believes, they have eternal life. They pass from life to death, and they will not face the judgment before God that ends in eternal separation from him. Last verses, John 1, 12 and 13. To all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Now, I have piled verse on top of verse, on top of verse, on top of verse, on top of verse, because I want you to understand something. You can be saved and sure of it. You can be saved and know it. But we've come to the moment of crisis for some of you. Because you're sitting out there and you're going, I don't really know if this describes me. What do I do? My encouragement would not be, just go home and pray about it. My encouragement would be that when we stand and sing our last song, that you make your way down here and say, is there somebody who can talk to me? We're not talking about whether you have hamburgers or pizza for lunch. We're talking about eternity. It's not something to fool around with. There are others of you who haven't heard this, have recognized, you know what? I'm not saved and I know it. What do I need to do? The good news is God's mercies are new every morning. Today is a day of salvation. And if you need Jesus, he's waiting on you. And we've got people that would love to pray with you and to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. And so as we pray, I want you to prepare your hearts to do what the Lord is calling you to do.